This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. Uh, We're going to continue on as we've been going on through our journey of the story of the scriptures. Uh, We began by looking at Adam and how he was created in God's image. He was given responsibility and fell from that responsibility. Uh, And then we moved on into Noah and looking at the, the, the story of Noah and how it is a picture of Christ, again, because all of these stories ultimately are showing us the story of Christ over and over again. Then we examined Abraham and the son of promise, how he was granted this great blessing to be uh, the one that would bring the promised seed that would save uh, all of humanity uh, truly from, from sin, uh, that, that the sin that Adam had caused. Uh, we last time that I spoke, we talked about the encounter that Abraham had with Melchizedek and how this shows us a symbol of a man, a figure that was both king and priest of God. And this sets us up and shows us how Christ was set up to be both priest and king as prophesied throughout the scriptures. He fulfills those roles. Uh, We looked at the story of Jacob and, and how he had to go through a transformation after he after he received the blessings, he, he, was, uh, he left his home and grew and came back, and he left as Jacob, and he returns as Israel and to confront his past, and he meets with his brother Esau, and he, uh, and he is now this inheritor of these great blessings that God has bestowed upon him as a prince of God. Jacob ultimately leads his, uh, ult- ultimately the story of Jacob leads to Joseph, which leads them into the land of Egypt, and then we looked at Moses and the receiving of the law. And we saw the, the trouble that the Israelites had, that they quickly fell away from the law of Moses and, and set up idols. And we saw the, the story of the Exodus play out and see God's response to their sin. And then we looked at Aaron and a rebellion that took place against Aaron and his role as the high priest. Now, all of these accounts, all of these stories that we read about in the Old Testament are showing us a shadow of Christ. They're showing us events that take place that God is using to instill in our minds these repeated themes and stories and accounts showing us the picture of Christ and the, as the Messiah. Christ is the one who would be the true image of God. Christ is the one who would bring us rest as Noah had brought rest to his people, uh, to, to, to the people. Uh, Abraham as, as bringing forth his son of promise, uh, Jesus perfectly pictured in that story. Uh, in Melchizedek, he's pictured as the king and the high priest. In Jacob, he's pictured as the prince of God. Uh, in, in Moses, he's pictured as the, the lawgiver, the deliverer, the person that leads them out of the, the exodus and out of the slavery of Egypt. In Aaron, he's pictured as the, the high priest whom God has chosen and the authority that God has put in place to be the savior of our souls. So there's repeating themes to show us it always has been about Christ. And that's important for us to know. Now, there's another theme that is important for us to examine. We'll go back and look at a few things from these past accounts that we've read, and that is the the theme of exile, because exile is an important concept for us to understand and realize that is a repeating theme that's been there all along. Uh, It begins with Adam. When Adam committed sin and ate of the fruit, God issues judgment against the serpent, of course, and then he pronounces judgment against Adam and and Eve, and and there's consequences and there's punishment that they have to endure. And one of those consequences, because of their sin, was being separated from God. And this is the first picture we see of 
exile from God, in, uh, from God's people and God. Exodus chapter 3, or uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 3, verse 22, it says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Right here we see what God did. And he was actually doing Adam a favor, Adam and Eve, both. Because he says, unless now in this fallen condition, in this condition of sin, unless he put forth his hand, eat of the tree of life and live forever, he was separating himself from, from these, uh, he was separating these people that had committed sin from himself and drove them from his presence. So he ultimately was doing them a favor, but the result is still the same. They committed sin and were driven from the presence of God. They now are in a state that they don't belong in because God originally created us to be with him, be holy, and have harmony between us and, and him. But now they're in a condition, in a state that they don't belong in, and they are separated from God. They are not in his presence. They're driven out of the garden. And so this is the first time we see this happening, and we're going to continue to see it happening throughout the story of the scriptures. Now, we didn't study this account, but sin affects the lives of their children. And when Cain becomes so enraged and, and jealous because his brother Abel, his sacrifice was accepted before God, what does he do? He kills his brother. He commits murder. And so when he commits that act in Genesis 4.16, it says, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. So Cain was exiled from the presence of God. He was separated from God's presence because he, uh, because he committed this sin. Now, in, in exile, there is also an, an aspect of, of being captives, being slaves. In Adam's case and in Cain's case, they were slaves to sin, and they imposed the penalty of sin and death, and now all humanity is part of that uh, slavery. And, and that's why we experience the things we experience because of sin and because of death. Um, as we go forward throughout the, the timeline of the scriptures, when God entered into the covenant with Abraham, if you'll recall, we talked about how these animals were sacrificed, they were cut in half, at, uh, Abraham set all these things up, and God passed through these pieces to make this covenant sure with Abraham in, in Genesis 15. Now part of the thing that God said in making that covenant with him was foretelling of Abraham's descendants being captives, being held in bondage as strangers in a foreign land. Genesis 15, 12 through 13. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. So God foretells of the, the suffering that the, the Hebrews would experience in Egypt. And that's exactly what happens as the story develops. And you know, we saw and talked about Jacob and how he had his twelve sons, and then Joseph led, ultimately is the one who leads them into Egypt. And they grow there into this great population of, of God's people, as God promised, but they were put into slavery. And God had promised that and prophesied that, that that's what's going to happen. And so they're in a land that is not theirs. They're in a place that they don't belong. And they are captives. And they are afflicted. And again, this sets up for us the idea of exile. It's not good. We're separated. We're afflicted. We're in slavery. And this continues to happen because of the results of sin. 
after the exodus takes place and Moses leads the people out, they still have a horrible attitude against God. They still murmur and complain the whole way. And so there is an event that takes place in their time, in their history of, of wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And again, that is a type of exile that, that takes place upon them. It's a, it's a type of separation because they were going to enter into this place where they belong, but now they can't for this 40-year period as punishment. But even when they finally do, after that 40-year period, finally do go into Canaan and Joshua leads them into that land, they're freed from Egypt, right? They're, they're living free. And they finally enter the promised land, but we see them fall right back into the hands of their enemies in Canaan. That's exactly what happened to them. We read in Judges chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. The Israelites go into the land of Canaan. They don't eradicate all the idol worship that's in that land. They instead adopt the practices of idol worship and start to worship these gods, Baal and Ashtaroth. God is so displeased that he allows them to be driven into the hands of their enemies. He delivers them into the hands of their enemies, and they are now oppressed. And this is a state of exile. This is a state of, of separation from God because now they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're not in a condition that they belong in, in holiness, because that's what they agreed to as the Israelites, to be God's holy, royal kingdom of priesthood, or priests, a kingdom of priests, and be his holy people. They're not fulfilling that, and so now they're in a condition that they don't belong in and being oppressed by their enemies and destroyed by their enemies round about. Yet, some of the things that we see in this picture of exile, in this picture of separation from God, is the amount of effort God goes through to deliver His people from that condition, to help them. And so, you see it with, Exodus, with the Exodus. He brings them up out of Egypt. You see it in this time in Canaan. They repeatedly fall to their enemies because they're serving idols, but God would deliver them by the hand of a judge. And that's the, the history that we find in the book of Judges, is how often God would raise up a judge to deliver them from the hands of their enemies because God wanted them back into a reconciled state with him. God wants there to be peace between he and man. There wants, he wants us to live up to the holiness of God. He wants us to bear our responsibility properly and, again, have harmony between us and God. And so God works through these events to, to bring restoration. But that doesn't change the fact that it happens. They fall, they commit sin, they're separated from God. Now, as their history develops, they decide that it's a good idea to take on a king. They reject God as their king. And, and so, after this time of the judges, they become a kingdom and eventually go through this, this split and this division. And so there's two kingdoms now. The northern kingdom is Israel and the southern kingdom is Judah. And here we see the concept of exile play out again for both of these kingdoms because of their sinfulness, because of their wickedness. Uh, there's a, a bit of a summary here in 2 Kings chapter 17, speaking about the northern kingdom of Israel. It says in verse 16, They left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made molten images, even two calves, reference to the calves of Jeroboam and, that he made in Dan and Bethel. We've studied about those those events. They made a grove and they worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire and used divination and enchantments and sold them 
uh, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Um, this is the summary of the, of the kingdom of Israel. They just gave themselves totally over to idolatry to the point that they were sacrificing their children to the fires of Molech. And, and this was very, very displeasing to God. This was abominable behavior to God. And what was the result? Well, again, exile takes place. Verse 22 says, For the children of Israel walked in all the sin of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them until the Lord removed Israel from out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. So they were in a place that they belonged. They were doing things they ought not to have been doing. And God removed them from his sight. And now they go into a place that they don't belong. They're strangers in a, in a foreign land and even more estranged from God because he is separate and he has driven them out from his presence. You see this theme, that just how it repeats over and over again? When sin is present in the lives of his people, he separates us from his presence. He does not want to be around sin and he doesn't want a relationship with sin. And I think that's clearly expressed in the New Testament when we look at what Paul talked about. What harmony and fellowship does light have with darkness? It's none. And God is not a God that will have harmony with sin. So because of their sin, Israel is carried off and they become slaves to the Assyrians. The Assyrians come and conquer them and they take them into slavery and they lived in a demoralized state because the Assyrians made them mingle, intermingle with these different nations and that's where the Samaritans come from, these half-breed Jews uh, that, that became detestable to the Jewish people. Uh, but they were just in this demoralized state because of their own sin, their own folly. Now, the same thing happens to the southern kingdom, Judah, at a later time, because they also give themselves over to, to idolatry and to following evil. Even though God, as it says here, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets, God sent prophet after prophet into these lands, into these kingdoms, to tell them and to warn them about their ways and tell them, repent, because if not, you will be taken captive. This is going to be, this is going to happen. Your enemies will overtake you and God will forsake you if you forsake his law. They gave warning after warning, but the people of God did not listen. Israel was carried away captive, and again, the same thing happens to Judah. In 2 Chronicles 36, we see a summary here. In verse 14, Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, that is the, the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, who slew their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the places thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. This is what eventually happens to the, to the people of Israel, the, the kingdom of Judah, rather, at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. They're totally overtaken and God sends them off because of their abominations because they followed idolatry, because they, they forsook the law of God and, and did not heed the warning of his prophets, but instead misused them, persecuted them, and mocked them 
They come to them saying, repent. And they mock these messengers. God allows them to be taken off into the, the land of Babylon for a 70-year period of exile. And here they'll live under the hands of these, king, of these kingdoms as slaves in a place that they don't belong, estranged from God because of their own sin. Because that's the reason for the exile. That's what happens when, when exile takes place and they are captives and they're slaves. Remember, Israel entered into the agreement with God at Sinai. And they said, we will be your holy people. We will obey your voice. We will be your royal priesthood. And while they followed his commandments, they were. And they were prosperous. They were successful. God blessed them. God gave them protection. They were in harmony with God. And, and he was pleased with them in the times that they, were, they would be obedient. But every time they chose to abandon keeping that law and that covenant and chose to live separate from God's commandments, as part of the agreement that God made with them, God warned them, if you do this, then I will let you experience the outcome of that separation, and I will be separate from you. And he will choose to live apart from his people if they choose to live apart from him. He warned about that directly in the law. In Deuteronomy 29, 24 through 25, he says, Even all nations shall say, Wherefore has the Lord done this unto his land, or this land? What meaneth the heat of this great anger? Then men shall say, Because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord the God their fathers, which he made with him when he brought them forth out of the land of Egypt. He says, don't be so shocked and don't be so surprised when you're living in the state of exile and all the nations round about are going, what happened to these people? These were the people of God. I thought these were the chosen people. Why is God so angry with them? And he gives them the answer. You know what they're going to say? It's because they forsook the Lord their God. They forsook the covenant that, he, that, he entered, that they entered into with the Lord God their fathers when he brought them up out of the land of Egypt. And because they forsook that, God will separate himself from them. Isaiah 59, 1 through 2, the prophet Isaiah going and, and declaring these things during these times of exile, he says in, in, in verse 1 and 2, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. This was Isaiah's message to the people. They felt rejected. They felt separated. They felt like they were all alone. It's because they were. Not because God is incapable or was not capable of saving them, but he says your sins have created the separation between, between you and God. So this theme of exile is shown to us very clearly in the fact that we commit sin and, and ultimately are separated from God. And that's exactly what happened to the people of Israel in their history. And we read the description of what happened to the Israelites. The Babylonian king, they came, they destroyed the city. They laid waste. It was desolate. They were, they were slaves, and, and even worse, they defiled the house of God, and they took all the holy instruments and the vessels, and they, they totally and were utterly destroyed, and, and the Babylonian king took those things into his possession, and that was a shame. When you're reading those words that we read there in Second Chronicles, we need to understand how much of a shame this was to the people of Israel to be in this condition. It was not something they were happy about, something they were proud of. And while they're there in exile in Babylon in that 70-year period, with the temple of God destroyed, their home city in waste, we read of how their tremendous sorrow, uh, we read about their tremendous sorrow and how it's captured in the words that are written uh, in Psalm 137, verse 1 through 4, it says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. 
For there they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Notice their question. How, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? They knew that they weren't where they belonged. And all they could do is weep and be joyless because they, they know that they have brought this upon themselves. And God told them that. When you're in this state, when you're in this condition of exile, separated from me, you are going to loathe yourself. And it's exactly what they experienced. Ezekiel chapter 6, 9 through 10 they that shall escape of you shall remember me among the nations whither, whither you shall be carried captives because I am broken with their whorish heart which hath departed from me and with their eyes which go whoring after idols and they shall loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed in all their abominations and they shall know that I am the Lord and that I have not said in vain that I would do this evil unto them. That's exactly what we read in that psalm. They were sad not because they not because only they were carried away captive, but because the guilt of their sin was obvious to them. They knew they were guilty of committing sin against God. They knew they were in that condition because of what they chose to do and what they chose to follow. And all they can do is sit there and loathe themselves for the evils they've committed against God. They have no one to blame but themselves. They've broken God's heart with their whorish ways, seeking their own after their own eyes, repeating again the sin of the garden, looking to our own ways and our own evils, and choosing that as good in place of what God has called good. God also weeps. His heart is broken because of His people being in this condition. He's not happy about this. And that's the thing we need to know as Christians. There's a lot of people that are opposed to God and they want to paint Him as this evil tyrant who just is so ready and at any moment is just going to destroy these people with hellfire and just wants to pour out His wrath. That's not the God that we serve. He is not pleased. He will let us experience the results of our choices and be separate from us. And it's not a good place to be. But He doesn't want that. In fact, He told in Ezekiel, the prophet said in, in verse 31 through 32, God pleads, cast away from you all your transgressions whereby you have transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? That doesn't sound like the... This pleading doesn't sound like a wrathful and vengeful God who's just waiting and excited to destroy people. This is a God that's heartbroken. As He looks at His people and says, Why? Why will you die? Just turn from your evil ways. Just put off this transgression from you. I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live. Don't believe the voices out here in the world that want to paint this picture of this tyrannical God. Hear God's own words and believe that. He has no pleasure in those that die. And he was not happy that Israel was in this condition of exile. It breaks his heart and he weeps and he is not pleased with this. And he does and has done so much to help them and to give them hope, as we'll see here in a moment. But while they're in this state of, of exile, the truth is, even after God turned back their captivity after their 70-year period, they were never really back. They were never really had the sense of, of restoration. There was always this lingering thing because of, of this exile, because of this sin, because of this, this uh, going away from God's commandments that they experienced. They never really got over that. 
even after they started to go back to Jerusalem and to build up these, these walls and to restore what had been destroyed by these Babylonian kings and these other kingdoms, they start going back and they start to rebuild, but they're still in sorrow. They're still experiencing the sting of their guilt. In Nehemiah 1, uh, 2 through 4, it says, Hanani, uh, uh, Han- Han one of my brethren, came, and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You read this in other books like Ezra, even even after they start to rebuild and they come to Jerusalem and they're making these sacrifices and they're starting to do all the things that the law asked them to do once again, even then he weeps and he's in sorrow and he prays and says, God, it's our own fault. We brought ourselves into this. We chose to disobey your commandments and not follow you. And so even after the 70-year captivity and the destruction of the first temple, the people were never really, never really restored, never really back. They were free once again, but they continued in their history to be overrun. They continued to be oppressed by enemies. Even after rebuilding the temple, later on, the Greeks come along, and in their history, Antiochus Epiphanes comes in and, and defiles the temple. And he, and he takes pig's blood in there and he, and he defiles the, the holy things of God. And then even after more time passes, they fall under the Roman rule. And they're still oppressed by their enemies, still captives to other nations. And, and later the second temple would be destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. And it would just be desolate and destroyed. They never really recovered from their sin and never really recovered from to, to the state of following God. And all things are peaceful and all things are restored. And God uses that to show them there's really a story that's there that he's showing them. That, that this, what they're trusting in is not the right thing and he's pointing them forward to Christ. And he gives them a glimmer of hope all throughout their history of being exiled. We saw the separation from God. It's not our natural state, but God seeks to reverse that. He's, stu- he's been doing this plan since the fall in the garden. Genesis chapter 3.15, he says, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between the serpent and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Her seed shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God issues judgment against the serpent and says, this, this serpent crusher is going to come and crush you. The seed of the woman will come and crush you. And, and in this, there is a reversal of the things that Adam and Eve did and the separation that they caused between themselves and God. And God has always been carrying this story out. That's why constantly... He gives His people hope and restores them or delivers them and shows them and brings them back into His presence and gives them opportunity after opportunity to be His holy people. God told Israel specifically that there was hope and that even though they were going to be captives and go into this captivity, He was going to return their captivity and, and undo that. Deuteronomy chapter 30, 1 through 4. It shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call to mind among all the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee. And thou shalt return to the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, that then the Lord God will turn thy captivity, and hath compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all nations, whither the Lord God hath scattered thee. 
And if any of thine be driven out to the outermost, to the outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord God uh, gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. Notice what he told the Israelites. I'm going to go to the farthest reaches and go to the farthest extremes to get you back. And I will return you from this captivity and will reverse this, this exile. And he promises his people, you will be in a place that you belong once again. In Jeremiah 23, 7-8, he says, Therefore, behold, the day shall come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. No. But the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seeds of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all the countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. This was going to be a pivotal moment where God has gathered up all His people that are scattered abroad and brings them back together again. And this is the hope that He gave to Israel. And this is the hope that they lived in even though they had been in exile from God, even though they had fallen away from Him, even though they were oppressed and crushed by their enemies and constantly reminded of their sin, God promises them that it would not always be this way. And so they lived in that hope, looking for that time that would come. And it points us forward to the day of Christ, really. That's ultimately what He was pointing them forward to, this great gathering that would happen. And there's application for us here, there's things that we can learn because we see ourselves in this story. We see ourselves. Because sin <clears throat> makes us estranged from God. If we choose to follow the path of sin, as Paul said, Romans 6, 16, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. We choose to commit sin. We choose to entangle ourselves into, these, into this entrapment of sin and bind ourselves with these chains, and we follow sin, and that will lead us unto death. And when we choose to do this, we're selling ourselves and we're giving up our holiness. We're, we're giving up the great gift that God has had, and, and as he says, go a-whoring after these other gods, and we're prostituting ourselves to sin and giving ourselves over to it. Ephesians chapter 4, 17 says, In the vanity of their mind, having their understanding dark, darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. This condition that we find ourselves in, separated from God and alienated from Him, it's a result of our own choices, and God lets us experience that separation. And He lets us go off into this, this slavery to these enemies, uh, to these enemies of sin and death and, and the world. And in doing so, we are becoming captives. We are becoming captives to Satan. Second Timothy 2, 26, it says that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. We're being made slaves of this great enemy, Satan. And again, we live estranged from God and separated from his presence. Ephesians 2, 12 at that time, when we're living in this condition, you are without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We are driven from the presence of our God when we live and choose to follow the sins of this world because we do get to make a choice. We're not helpless, and sin doesn't just happen to us. We decide to follow those paths and to reject His commandments. 
or to mock his prophets, to mock his word that comes along and says, don't live this way or misuse his word. We choose to do that. But again, in this picture of exile, there's also God there helping us, bringing us restoration, freeing us from bondage. And, you know, Independence Day is on our mind because of the holiday. There's no greater independence that we've experienced than the captivity from our sins. That the freedom that God has brought to us from our captivity. In Romans chapter 6, 4 through 7, he tells us about how Christ is the one who frees us from this, from this slavery. In Romans chapter 6, he says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also uh, be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. There is a freedom that we experience from the captivity of sin and the bondage of Satan when we die with Christ and are raised with Him to live in newness of life. And we are walking and living as free because we've been baptized into Him. And there's no other way for us to experience that freedom. Although some may mock and scoff at these words of the prophets that have come, the apostles that have come, some may mock these words and say it's not true. But the Bible is true. And, and if we are baptized into Christ, we have freedom. And what a, what a great blessing to know that God has freed us from the bondage of sin. What better independence could we be celebrating than that today? Yet, there's still a problem. Because even though we're freed from sin, we don't forget. Just like the Israelites living in exile, even after they've returned, they still remember. They remember their sins, and there's still a sense of shame that we bear with us. And we still experience trouble from our enemy of sin and Satan. And we still experience the sting of death. And we have fears, and we have dread. And we're constantly reminded in the Scriptures of our sin. And in this world, we're constantly reminded. And we could fall back into that exile at any time. Second Peter 2, 18-20 for when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh. Through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who lived in error. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same he is brought in bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. They're still danger for us in this world as we live. We can be entangled again and become the slaves again. And it says the latter end is worse for us than, than from the time we were freed. In fact, it'd be better for us not to have been saved at all if we're just going to return back to the captivity, if we're just going to return back into exile from God and choose to not follow His ways. The sin in our lives is still present in this world that, and it easily besets us. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. It's a hard reality to, 
to accept and to understand. Yes, we've been freed from our sins, but we have not been freed from the danger of committing sin just yet. We are still surrounded by enemies that seek to lure us into these wickedness, to lure us into the idol worship so that we might fall once again into the trap of Satan and be his slave. We groan while we live in this life waiting uh, and experiencing the afflictions and the results of sin. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 4, for we, are, for we that are in this tabernacle, in this body, we do groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up in life. It's, we're not in a state that we truly belong in yet. And we know it. We still feel it in our bodies. We still know it deep down inside. And we're, we're in this body and we groan because we're burdened by the flesh. And we want something greater and we're looking for something greater. Just like the people of Israel wanted something greater. We long for that place that we really belong in, our true homeland, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, for our conversation, our conduct, our life, our citizenship, rather, in this verse, our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that there is a place that we belong. We know that this world is corrupt and we still groan in our bodies and experience the pain and the suffering. And we know there's something better that's a, that awaits and we are looking for that place. Yet we still experience a form of exile in the result of, of, of sin and the consequence of what Adam did, and that is death. And death is a picture of exile because our body and our soul are separated and we are in a condition that we don't belong in, in that state, when our body and soul are separated. Adam caused that death. It says, God told him, in the sweat of thy face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. This is not what God originally created Adam for and intended for him to be. Yet he brought this, this shame of death upon us, and that shadow looms over us still. Psalm 116, verse 3, the, sh the sorrows of death compass me. The pains of hell get hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. And that's what we get to experience while we're living in this world. Now, it may seem hopeless. It may seem bleak. That may be sorrowful. And we, we will weep, similar to the Israelites by the rivers of Babylon, sometimes finding no joy, but just groaning and pain. But there are glimmers of hope that God gives to us, His people, in the story of, and the message of Christ. You know, we get a description of what happens after we die. Our bodies and souls are separated. In Luke 16, Christ talked about this with the beggar and, and with Lazarus, with Lazarus and the rich man. In verse 22, he says, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man died also and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. We get a clear picture of what happens after we die. And there's a separation that takes place. Our soul goes into this place called Hades. If, if we have been faithful, we will be in Abraham's bosom, and if we have not, we shall await the judgment and torment. You know, Jesus died and he went there. When Jesus died on the cross, this is where he went. He said in 1 Peter 3.19, by which also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. It was always confusing to me of, of why it would be described this way, but 
Hades is not a place that we belong. And it is like a prison. It is a place of separation from, from our natural state, from our true state that God created us to be in. Our body and our soul are separated. And our soul is just waiting in this holding cell. It, it is like a prison. It's not where we belong. Although God provides us some comfort there because we, we see Abraham and we go to Abraham's bosom. But Jesus is our hope because he went to this place. He went to this prison and he was taken up out of this prison and restored back to, this, to the state he belongs in, his body. In Acts 2, 27, he, he, this prophecy was about Jesus and his, and his resurrection. He says, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Jesus was not allowed to stay there. Instead, he broke the bonds of death and the power and the hold that death had over us. And his soul was restored to his body. And he was raised up from the grave. And there's a beautiful hope and, and life that we experience in the hope and the life that we experience in Jesus. And I can only imagine that, that as we go into Hades, we see Abraham, our father Abraham there, and he reassures us and he, con and he consoles us and gives us confidence. And he reminds us that the people that enter into Hades, he reminds all of those souls that God is able to raise them from that place and free them from that captivity because he saw it for himself when he saw Jesus the Son of Promise, raised up from that very place. What great hope we have. Truly. And if we live faithfully in Jesus, and we follow the commandments, again, God will turn back the captivity, and we will experience the same bodily resurrection that Jesus experienced. Romans 8, verse 11. For if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead will also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. We will experience the returning of this exile of death. And we will, we will be, be back in a place that we belong. Our souls will be back into our bodies. And if we live faithfully, we are going to experience that resurrection. And our captivity will be turned back. We'll be restored to holiness. And we will dwell where we belong, and that is with God. Philippians chapter 3, 20-21. Our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it might be fashioned like to His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able to even subdue all things unto Himself. What a blessing we get to have and experience, because Jesus provides this hope. He was the firstborn from the dead, and He broke the power of sin. He broke the power of death. He frees us from the slavery of sin and ultimately frees us from this captivity of death and turns us back so that we have great hope. Now, one last thing I want to point out as we, as we bring our thoughts here to a close. When Israel followed the commandments of God, they had peace and they had holiness and, and they, had, uh, they had life. But when Israel didn't listen to God, God let them the experience, experience the consequence of their own choice, and that is death. And if we don't want God in this life, and we consistently live in sin, and we just give ourselves over to that, and just have no care about changing, we're telling God that we don't want you in this life. And if we don't want God in this life, we're going to spend an eternity separate from Him in the next life. We'll be in bondage forever, in torment forever, 
and will be totally separated from God's presence. And this should help us understand what is meant here in 2 Thessalonians. Verse 8 and 9, he says, At the judgment, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that do, know, do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. While we have time to repent and change, we ought to take that up. Because God does not want it to be this way. He does not want the death of the wicked. He wants instead the repentance of the wicked. Turn from your evil ways so that He will turn back your captivity. He has made great efforts for you to be reconciled to Him and, and to return you from the exile so that you can live a holy life, so that you can be restored to the place that you belong, that is following God in this life and in His presence eternally at the resurrection. It's not too late for us to change while we have breath. If there's anyone here this morning that knows and is experiencing that sting, that guilt of sin, and we know that there's something off, we can feel it. And we know when we're living in sin and we're separate from God and things just aren't quite right. Won't you allow yourself to repent and to come to God so that He can restore you and bring you back to His presence? And your guilt and your shame can be washed away. Jesus will faithfully forgive those, uh, as it says in 1 John, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He wants to be reconciled to you. If you're a Christian this morning, you've been baptized into Christ, you are a Christian, then repent if, if you need to, be, to, to return to the Father. And we're here to help you with that as the family in Christ. And if you're here this morning and haven't been baptized into Christ, don't reject the teaching of the New Testament. Submit yourself to the cleansing blood of Jesus and your conscience will be clean. You, the bondage of sin will be removed from you. You will live as free. And you will have the hope of the resurrection so that one day your mortal body will be raised up to live with Christ. Experience that hope. We, we hope that you will. If there's anybody that has these needs, please come forward while we stand and sing. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.